Well, friends, good morning. Good morning and welcome to worship at Pleasant Street Christian Reform Church. Uh, for those of you who are visiting, who are new with us, my name is Matthew. I am the senior pastor here. On behalf of all of us in leadership and staff in this whole congregation, we're glad that you could be with us, whether you're in person or joining us online or watching us after the fact with the recorded service. However you're joining us, we're glad that you are here today. And especially for those of you who are new or getting started, just wanted to let you know a couple of things, housekeeping notes about the life of our church and our worship. We worship using a printed liturgy, which you can find if you've joined us here in the room, but also the things that we'll be singing and saying together will be displayed on the screen for you. We cannot hear you, so feel free to sing out loud. Um, And uh, let's see, what other things do we have? Oh yeah, uh, Happy New Year. (laughs) It's it's good to see all of you. We made it uh, to 2021, and uh, I think it... It's always an exciting thing to look at a new year together, but it seems like particularly this year, people are, are primed for hopefulness about what the, what the new year might hold. Uh, but for us as Christians, as you step into the sanctuary, it is also actually still Christmas. And so in some ways, the old year still followed us kind of into this new year, which may not sound like good news at first, but it actually is. Because Christmas is a season, and this year, during the 12 days of Christmas, we actually get two Sundays of Christmas, which doesn't always happen. So it's like an extra gift, right? We get two whole Sundays to think about what it means that Jesus has come here. And of course, that's the wonder of Christmas in the first place. He came here. And so whatever you face in the beginning of this new year, whatever it holds, both known and unknown, wherever you are watching the service right now, the good news is that he came here. And whether you can come here or you can't, uh, wherever here is for you in this coming year, he came here and he promises to continue to come. That's why he came. And so friends, in that hope, in that bright, brilliant, good news, I'd invite you to rise And let's prepare ourselves to worship together. We always do that, if I remember, uh, with a moment of silence to quiet our hearts and invite him to come in. So I'd invite you to do that now. And then I'll offer a prayer on our behalf. Almighty God, as we prepare for worship, we pray that you will quiet our hearts, that we may hear your voice and your word. We pray that you will stir our hearts, that we may more faithfully follow Jesus and that you will be glorified by the praise and prayers that we offer you. Amen. Friends, let's rise. Let's say this call to worship together. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon us. Let us praise the Lord together. The sun shall no longer be our light by day, nor the brightness of the moon shine. For the Lord will be our light, our God will be our glory. The Lord will be our everlasting light, our days of sorrow. Come, let us sing to our light and salvation.
seated. All glory be to Christ, and we'll give him all the glory. And yet, we can honestly say that this past week, we haven't always given Christ all the glory. We've wanted a lot of it for ourselves. And there are times when we haven't walked in his light, but we have preferred darkness. We need to call, uh, call on the Lord and pray in confession. Will you join me in prayer of confession? Almighty and merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you and one another in both our actions and inactions. We recognize that in Jesus Christ our light has come, yet often we choose to walk in shadows and ignore the light. Gracious God, forgive our sins and remove from us the veil of darkness that shrouds our lives. Illumined by your word, may we walk more closely, may we we more closely follow you and tell of your glory to all we meet. Please continue in silent confession. People of God, hear these words of encouragement from 1 John 1, verses 5 through 7. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. of Christ be with you. Let us greet our neighbors in a socially distanced and COVID-appropriate way. Good morning and Happy New Year. My name is Thalia and I'm an elder here at Pleasant Street and it is my privilege to lead us in prayer this morning. And let's bow our heads. 
Dear Lord, we praise you this morning for being our God. Thank you for making all things new in you. We thank you for the beginning of a new year and that we can begin this new year in your house, your house of worship, as your family, worshiping, praising, and adoring you. Many of us are probably very thankful to put the year 2020 behind us and are looking forward to the year 2021. But we know that this past year was the year of our Lord, 2020, and you remained faithful to us even through a very tough year. Looking back on the year, we are thankful for the technology we have in place that allows us to worship together, both in person and online. We are thankful for those who led us in worship and those who use their talents with technology to make this all possible. We are thankful for our staff and our council who have led us well this past year. We thank you for the progress we made on the restoration of our building and for the finances to make this first phase of restoration possible. We thank you for bringing Pastor Matthew and his family to us, and we look forward to their contribution to our story here at Pleasant Street in the coming years. Through all of this, God, you have been with us every step of the way, and we know you are here with us today. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for being as relevant today as when Jesus was born so many years ago. Lord, this morning we bring before you the joys and needs of our church family. We rejoice with Richard and Gloria as they celebrate 60 years of marriage this week. What a gift that is to be together for 60 years, for each other and for their family. May you bless them with many more years of love and good health together. We thank you that Joy and Jim have found a new home that will serve Joy better with her medical needs. And Lord, we pray for Gracie, who has been ill this past week. We thank you that she is home and recuperating, and we pray that you will continue to heal her. We pray for Babe, who fell this week and has been admitted to the hospital. Please be with her and bring her healing. We pray for Howard and Marlene's grandson, Elijah. He has some health concerns that are being investigated, and we pray that you will heal him completely. And Lord, please keep him in your precious care. Please be with Tim and Carly, mom and dad, as they care for him, and please relieve their anxiety. May they feel your presence in a very real way through this. And we pray for the caregivers of these loved ones, as in many cases they cannot be present with their loved ones in the hospital right now because of COVID. May they too feel your presence and peace. We continue to pray for the Nardone family who lost their home by fire as they continue to live in temporary housing until their, ho their home is restored. We pray that they will feel your presence and peace during this time of loss. We also pray for all our students as they return to school and college this week, and we pray for all our teachers as well. Continue to bless their studies and their work, give them renewed energy and joy in their work, and continue to keep them all safe. We know that there are many needs among us. Many are unknown to us, but they are known to you, Lord. Sometimes you seem so far away. Help us to seek you and thank you for the assurance that you will be found. Thank you for being with us even in our dark moments and for being our light in the darkness. 
As we turn to your word this morning, we thank you for Pastor Matthew, and we pray for a blessing on him as he brings us your message. Give us ears to hear and minds and hearts that are open to your word and message this morning. And as we just prayed, we hope we are illuminated by your word and message and that we may more closely follow you. Shine your light in us, through us and over us. May we make a difference in this world for your glory and purposes. May we, may we reflect your peace and hope to a world that so desperately needs your presence and healing. To you be glory and honor in this new year and forever. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Our scripture reading for this morning is Luke chapter 2, verse 41 through 52. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been looking anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus grows up rather quickly in the Gospels, doesn't he? A little over a week ago, it was Christmas Day, and Jesus was a baby in a manger. Today, he is 12 and nearly a man. The glorious story of Jesus' birth in Luke chapter 2 comes to a close with one brief window into his childhood. Luke chapter 1 and 2, the story that we have been following since the beginning of December, It really did start with a bang, didn't it? The third trimester donkey ride, the homeless labor and delivery, angelic visitations, miracle babies, gleeful shepherds, choirs of angels, the quartet of singing elderly, Simeon uh, and Anna, Zachariah and Elizabeth. These first two chapters open with lots of amazing things going on. Mary and Joseph are filled with wonder at it all, at the shepherds paying homage at the pair of octogenarians giving overjoyed praise. And we are too. Like Mary and Joseph, we are constantly astonished at the wonderful things that God is doing in Nazareth and Bethlehem and in Jerusalem. But to be honest, the grand story that Luke is telling seems much grander than our lives often are. It can be hard to relate angelic visitations to our everyday lives. 
So how wonderful then that the wondrous story of Jesus' birth closes with something as real to us as a misplaced 12-year-old in a large crowd of people. The angelic scenes are packed away like boxes of Christmas lights, and Christmas gives way to the ordinariness of winter and everyday life, just as Mary and Joseph settle into a 12-year routine of visiting the temple and raising a child. They are devout folks, Mary and Joseph. Luke has stressed that for us a couple of times. Mary and Joseph have done all that God asks of them according to the law. They kept the purification rites. They consecrated Jesus. They had him circumcised. And now, 12 years later, we join them in their annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the Passover. Though only Joseph is required, they're all there together, offering prayers and keeping God's commandments. A week later, when Passover has ended, Mary and Joseph pack up along with the Nazareth town tailgate, and they begin their journey home. The town of Nazareth walks together, as was the custom for the travelers, for the rural folks. Mary and Joseph aren't worried when Jesus doesn't show up for dinner that first night there on the way home. Perhaps he's having dinner with his cousins. And when he doesn't join them at bedtime, it's all right Because there's plenty of space in other tents as well. After all, he is almost a man turning 13 next year. But breakfast comes and goes the next morning and still no Jesus. Have you seen him? Did he happen to sleep with your family last night? No one has seen him actually since, well, since Jerusalem. Well, you can... The the realization is not a happy one. Jesus is is somewhere else, and they do not know where he is. You can imagine the panic-stricken packing, the quick bundling of food precisions as, as Joseph tightens the ropes on a donkey, the retracing of steps, a whole day's worth of steps back toward the city. Excuse me, are you coming from the city? Have you seen a boy, perchance, alone? His name? Well, his name is Jesus. Yes, I am aware that that is a very common name, but we had it on very good authority that that is the name he should have. Well, no, we we aren't sure. We thought he was traveling with our town. Last we saw him, it was in the temple. Yes, I am aware of how crowded it is there this time of year. All the way back to the city, turning up nothing but anxiety. Jesus is not on the road to Jerusalem. Where could that special boy be? A relative's house in the city? No. Nor in the market. Perhaps near the walls? Nothing, nothing, unless Mary and Joseph look at one another, tired eyes from three sleepless nights. The temple? We, all, we were all there together, but that was days ago. Why would he still be there? What 12-year-old would spend extra time there? Well, the last place that they might imagine turns out to be the last place they look. Because at the temple, there on the porch, framed by white columns, sits their boy, Jesus. They are astonished. They are astonished. Why? To find him in the temple? To find him at the feet of the best rabbis in the world? Probably both. A crowd has noticed this phenomenon too. They have noticed that this boy sits there absorbing teaching like a sponge sitting in a pool of water. They are amazed. At what? 
At his questions, Luke says, yes, but, but also at the grasp of the scriptures that such questions would require. And even more profound is his seemingly insatiable appetite for these very old scriptures. This hungry boy sits as though he is at home there in the temple. Mary breathes as though for the first time in three days. Her flood of relief turns to overwrought anger, though. Jesus, how could you do this to us? We have been worried absolutely sick about you for three days. And Luke does stress her anxiety and her pain as if that should come as any surprise to any of us. Jesus, where have you been? You scared us. We looked everywhere for you. But just as the world was starting to seem right side up again, Jesus' response puts them off balance once more with an innocence and a purity and a wisdom that seems too great for a 12-year-old boy. He says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know where I would be? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? No. They didn't know that he had to be in the temple. No, they don't understand. Three days they looked everywhere else. Jerusalem is not a very big city. They probably covered most of it. Three days in a panic. And Jesus says, you should have known I'd be here in the temple. This is my home. Why did you look anywhere else? Didn't you know where I'd be? Mary's furrowed brow gives way to a look of bewilderment. Joseph looks positively flummoxed. You may recognize that bewildered look on Mary and Joseph as one that you've worn yourself at some point because we don't always know where to look for Jesus. Well, on Christmas Day, it was obvious. I will grant you that. Jesus, the Son of God, came into the world. We celebrated it. Where is he? He's right there in the manger, spotted by floodlights from stage left and stage right. At Christmas, his presence in our lives also seems similarly well lit. Many of us sense Jesus' hope and peace and glad tidings of great joy at Christmas. But then there are times when Christmas seems long past and the Word made flesh seems to walk right out of our purview. He was just here, we think. Not five minutes ago in my life, he was right here. Where do I find him? Have you seen him? Michael was a dear friend of mine in college, and he came to my small liberal arts Christian college, and like many others at this college, he came steeped in church and in faith. He came to study and study he did. He worked and he studied and he learned and he made friends and he went about his life. And then about two years into school, he realized that somewhere along the way, he'd kind of lost track of Jesus. He began looking around. He began to rummage in places. He began to look through New Age poetry and Grateful Dead lyrics, the teachings of Buddha. Have you seen him? For the next two years that I knew him, Michael looked for Jesus just about anywhere that you could look. Well, almost anywhere. Everywhere except the old places. His Bible, well, it was gathering a bit of dust these days. 
At devotions one night, a group of us were figuring out what Bible passages we might study in the coming semester. Michael suggested the Bhagavad Gita. Kristen grew up in this beautiful old town in the rural northeast, and her family attended the same little white church. It was the only church that she'd ever known, and she knew the creaks of those pews like the sound of her mother's voice. But as she grew and the world grew larger, she became restless for more. There has to be more. And so she read exotic travelogues of great saints and found herself longing for some kind of spiritual travel, for some new experiences of Jesus in her life. It seemed like the old places, the places that she'd met Jesus before, namely church, it just didn't hold the same presence of God in her life. How can there be any promise for something new in something so familiar after all? And she started spending Sunday mornings hiking in the woods alone, eager for church amongst the pine trees, away from the old songs and words, away from the old people. Kristen was looking for Jesus in new places. She would often say that nature had become her church. It's funny, funny how much we might actually understand people like Michael and Kristen, isn't it? Well, no, maybe we didn't seek out Hindu scriptures or the Church of the Pines for new experience, but we understand this restlessness with the old places. There's a whole industry of books and music and literature and motivational speakers tailored to helping us find novel and new experiences of Jesus. Uh, John Acuff, who you might know, a couple of years ago ran this website called Stuff Christians Like. And he posted about this one time. He said this. He said, compared to what's available these days, my Bible is pretty boring. It's black, full of lots of words, a few maps, not much else. But whenever I go to Christian bookstores, I am overwhelmed at the sheer amount of options that they have. It's funny to me how many versions we've created and how very specific they can be. He names a few. The Battle Zone Bible. Tagline, sometimes our faith takes a beating. With this metal-covered Bible, young people can stand up to the battle and make a statement about their faith. The denim Bible, this stylish denim-clad Bible, is packed with exciting features, including 16 full-color pages of bold, engaging scripture highlights. And I don't want to pick on specialized Bibles too much, nor all the devotions that are out there for us to buy. And yet, that question in the mouth of the boy Jesus, it does make you wonder, doesn't it? Like, have you ever wondered if all that industry might just be one last ditch effort to peek around one more corner, to check one more house, to search one more alley for Jesus in every other new place than than in the words themselves? I mean, here on on the cusp of a new year, we are restless for new, aren't we? New is better, new is hope, old is bad, behind, broken, out with the old. We are so desperate to be rid of this old year and its wearisome headlines. And so ring in the new year. Please give us something new, up-to-date, new, state-of-the-art, new, advanced, cutting-edge, novel, fresh, imaginative, brighter, better, new. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? It is the wonder and gift of children that they ask the most important questions in the simplest way. Ironically, 
It is a young boy, Jesus, who is new to the world, who helps us to see what we overlook. We were so sure that it was the stuff of church that had to be made new when really it was us. It was us. And ironically, it is this new child, Jesus, who asks the question that calls us back to what we were so sure we had left behind. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Mary and Joseph actually find Jesus right where they left him three days before in the temple. And Jesus tells them that, in fact, though it was the last place they looked, it should have been the first because he had to be there. Jesus says he must be in his father's house. He must be there among God's promises to his people in God's house. And did you notice that these are the very first words that Jesus ever says? With with much more wisdom and conviction that we would expect from a 12-year-old, Jesus says, I must be in my father's house. Notice, too, that at 12 years old, Jesus said, my father. And he was talking about God. No one ever had the audacity to call God my father. But Jesus did. Because from his earliest days, Jesus understood that he had a special relationship with God, calling him my father and communicating his purpose in life with immense conviction. I must be in my father's house. And yet he doesn't stay there, does he? He doesn't send Mary and Joseph home alone. He goes with them. However, as commentators would notice, Mary and Joseph are no longer the subject of the sentences like they were at the beginning of this section in Luke. Now it is Jesus who goes with them to Nazareth, as if Jesus is now the one leading them home, (laughs) which which is exactly what he came to do in the first place, to lead wayward, straying, lost, homeless people like us, people prone to wander, home. And in the end, though we search and search for Jesus, though we ask him where he's been all this time, it is Jesus who comes to us and questions us. Jesus is the one who comes and finds us, which is what Isaiah said was going to happen all those centuries before anyway. A child would lead them. Frank, uh, Frank had been a cadet leader for about 20 years by the time that I met him. And each and every one of those 20 years, he had been doing the same things each year. If you don't know, cadets is kind of like the Christian Reformed version of Boy Scouts. I hope that's fair. Is that fair? I think it's fair. Anyway, in those 20 years, he'd been doing the same things each year. He had been doing the derby races and teaching the same memory verses and the stories in the Bible year in and year out. And Frank did this because he loved the stories and he loved the students. But in those 20 years, almost all of the boys that he had known uh, already knew something about what he was teaching them. It was never brand new for them. And then a couple of years ago, something new did happen, something for the first time that had never happened to Frank before. A boy with no church background at all 
joined cadets. <laughs> and um, he didn't know the story of the birth of Jesus or the miracles of the loaves and fishes. He didn't know about how Jesus stilled the storm or died and rose from the dead. He had never heard these stories in his life. And so Frank was the one to teach him the stories. He taught him the stories for the first time. And Frank was nervous about this at first. He wasn't sure what he would say. And yet as he watched this boy watching him, as he heard this boy asking very unusual questions, Frank told me that having that boy there in the room, it did something to him. When he was teaching those memory verses and Bible stories, I said, what did it do? And he said, well, it's, it's like I'm hearing them for the first time again, too. Which, of course, is why the uninitiated and why those who do not yet believe and why children, young and old, belong and must be in this house with us. Because with their ears and their eyes and their questions, they help us remember what we are so prone to forget. That through these old stories, through this word, in this old building, we meet the living Jesus and we are made new. The word made flesh came to dwell with us to make his home among us. Jesus is at home in his father's house and he still is. Having passed through death, Jesus has been raised to new life and he is with his father in heaven and ours and ours. From that heavenly home, Jesus sends out his Holy Spirit and he makes his home in us. Jesus sends it out into our lives and he meets us in this old story and in this old Bible and in places like this church. He sends it out to remind us that these old places are where we must go for that is where he will meet us in his father's story. And in his father's house, he must, he will. If you happen to lose sight of him for a moment, if the headlines from the last year have so blurred your vision, if, if all that glitters in the world has made it dim in the spiritual life around you, if you have been unable to find him for the tears that you have had to wipe from your eyes, if for some reason or another you lost sight of him for a moment, don't worry. Do not be afraid. For you are in just the right place. And he'll find you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you came and walked among us. You left sending your spirit upon us. And somehow, whether we can see it or understand it or not, you have brought us here today. Whether we are here this morning because this is, we cannot imagine being anywhere else or whether we are here for some reason that is yet a mystery to us. We trust that somehow in those circumstances and all others, you are at work bringing people to, to this place and to this word. For through it, we are made new. 
For through it, the dead come to life. Through it, all the things that we fear cannot be fixed or healed or forgiven are. For that is what you came to do for us and in us and through us. And so we pray this in your name, Jesus, asking that you would come to us, trusting that we will find you when we leave this place. In your name, amen. Friends, our service is short, and so our chances to respond are small today. Normally in our worship, we would have a chance to rise and to sing and also to respond to God by giving money for our offering. Today, we're unable to do that because of COVID, but you can still continue to give either online through the website or by depositing uh, checks or envelopes in that box, which is on the way in. I'd invite you and encourage you to do that when you have a chance to do so. But now, friends, I'd invite you to rise because God has yet one more gift to give us as we go. His blessing, his promise that his face has been turned toward us in Jesus, and he will never turn away. He will not look away. He will look at you as we leave this place and wherever you go this week. Friends, I'd invite you to receive it. May Christ, the Son of God, be manifest in you. That your lives may be a light to the world and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. Friend, let's go singing. I sought the Lord.
everyone is grace and peace.